My good people, how's it going? How's everything? Feeling good? Had a great Labor Day weekend? Did you enjoy? Are you summered out? Are you ready for pumpkin lattes? Well, as if you know me, I'm certainly not ready for that, but uh, I hope you're ready for a little sports talk as you've tuned into the J Reels podcast. I'm your host, J Reels. This is your first time tuning in, wondering who is this guy? Who is this J Reels? What is this guy? Filmmaker? Is he uh, just a made up sports talk show? Whatever it is. Well, you've come to the right place to listen to everything that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. So I do welcome you to the program. For those who have tuned in more than once, twice, 10, 20 times, I welcome you guys back. This is a Tuesday. Usually I say Monday because obviously we air our podcasts on a Monday. But considering the holiday yesterday, we're kicking off today, Tuesday, September the 4th in the year of our Lord, 2018. As I bring you everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the hardwood, Racetrack, golf course, tennis court, you name it, and also the gridiron, can't forget that. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. And here on the docket, as we approach the first week of September in full glory with college football, we'll recap a week one with the three highlight games, the primetime games that took place over the weekend. Also an update on the U.S. Open and what's happening out there in Flushing as we get closer to the weekend and to crowning the final two men's and women's champions for not only 2018, but for the tennis circuit as far as the majors are concerned. Well, we're going to start off with the baseball as now pennant race baseball heats up. It's only about, what, 25 or so games to go in the season. And if you're a Yankee fan, if you're the Yankees, period, We've talked about it for weeks on end, and now that you're into September, and despite the fact that you're still mathematically alive for the AL division lead, where the Red Sox currently hold an eight-and-a-half game lead, eight and a loss, if you're the Yankees, you're not treading water, you're not hanging on for dear life, you're certainly not making matters any better, considering you're playing a team that's hot in the Oakland A's, which is nipping on your heels, two-and-a-half games behind the top spot in the AL wild card. But as the players start to come back into the mix, whether it's the Gary Sanchez's of the world, the Didi Gregorius, which will be back hopefully at the end of this trip, and some of the other players that they actually brought into the team, whether it was Andrew McCutcheon that you're trying to fuse into this lineup, as well as Adani Echeverria, who was a shortstop who bounced around, played with the Marlins, the Rays, and with the Pirates recently. As you start to plug away here over the course of the last three and a half weeks of the season, and... When you look back to last week, it was a interesting week to say the least because you came into those two series against the White Sox and Tigers hoping that you would have that dominant week, that you could fatten up a little bit, you know, maybe get to five and two, maybe a six and one week that you had a couple weeks back on the homestand. But as it was, Last week at this time, we were talking about how the Yankees were just six games back, five in the loss, and you had visions of possible AL Division, uh, East Division championships dancing in your head, considering that you have to play the Red Sox six times over the last 10 days of the season. But that just went out the window, considering you lost two of three to the White Sox. In one of those games, you had to come back from a 4 nothing lead and had to walk off there at the end with Neil Walker. And then after losing the first of four to the Tigers, you win the next two hoping to get the sweep. But then on Sunday, that certainly went to waste because the Tigers just ambushed the Yankees from the start, winning 11-5. And then yesterday, with the Yankees going out to 
Oakland and a big West Coast trip, even though it ends in Minnesota in the Midwest. But pretty much what you look at that game yesterday is a tale of two teams. You have the Yankees, who, as we all know, stars up and down the lineup. I understand some guys are out. Sanchez back in. You're still waiting for Judge to come back, which reinforces the idea that he may not be back soon or who knows if at all, considering they bring in McCutcheon from San Francisco late last week. And you look at everything that they, everybody that they have in that lineup and everything that they have as far as resources, as far as their depth on the bench, Luke Voigt's coming in, hitting home runs and contributing, you know, players down in the minors. And then you look at the Oakland A's where you can't name three guys, you know, this side of Matt Chapman, who a lot of people look as their best player on the team. And they are a very cohesive Resourceful in their own right. They've stacked up a pretty decent bullpen. You saw a familiar face there yesterday when Jeru's familiar. And Blake Trinan, for those who are Met fans, remember him from his days as a Washington National. And what you have here is a team that it's a little engine that could to the machine that should have won 100 games pretty much in their sleep. And right now, the Yankees are looking at this Oakland A's team, chances are, as their opponent in that one-game wild card, whether it's at Yankee Stadium or out in the Oakland Coliseum. Now, to break down these scenarios, it's very simple. The Yankees currently have a two-and-a-half-game lead over the A's. They're still, I think, in very good shape to host that wild card game four weeks from today, in fact. And when you look at the landscape down the stretch for the Yankees, right, they have to go to Seattle, which they've been scuffling a bit. Then to Minnesota, which they've been out to see for quite some time. They have a long homestand, which includes the Red Sox, but it's sandwiched between Toronto and Baltimore. And then your final week of the season, you look at that final weekend series against the Red Sox in Boston. So it's pretty much a... I'm not going to say it's not an easy schedule, but it's certainly not difficult. Somewhere in between. And if you're the Yankees, all you have to do, as I've said, even last week, you got to take this one game at a time. It's the biggest cliche in sports. I get it. I know it's boring for sports talk, but guess what? If you're looking at the big picture, you don't want to look too far ahead. You just got to look at tonight's game. And could you imagine if the Yankees lose tonight and then they got to face a possible sweep at the hands of the A's tomorrow where there could be a half game leading Oakland, leaving the Bay Area to go to the Northwest in Seattle for the weekend. I'm sure if you're a Yankee fan, that is the last scenario that you want painted in your brains because if Oakland's going to be nipping on your heels here for the last three weeks and you're going to be fighting for dear life, you're pretty much going to be playing postseason games from now until the end of the season or regular season. Can't include the postseason because that's a whole other beast, but you get my point. And we all know the injuries. We all know the particulars. You'd only hope that they come back. And we've come to realize, and it's no shock by any stretch, that the most important player on this team is Aaron Judge. And without him in the lineup, despite the fact that the Yankees have labored, they have struggled, they have not been the same team, the same identity, the same even length of the lineup. 
Because even with Sanchez back, you know, he hasn't done much. He's only been a very small sample. But you'd only hope that he could pick up his average above the Mendoza line by the end of the year. And Stanton, for all that he's done over the last the last eight to ten days have not been great for him. But prior to that, he had uh, certainly carried this team with everybody out of the lineup. He finally hit his 300th home run last week. So congratulations to him. But now all these... The top players, the DD being out, Sanchez trying to get back in the mix. For Gleyber Torres' struggles, Andujar has been by far just every day consistently their best player. And who would have ever thought that a rookie, when you think about it, would be their most consistent player? But day in and day out, I mean, he's the guy's just been phenomenal. But it's Aaron Judge who is the guy that is the, not going to say the catalyst, and I don't even want to go as far as saying he's the straw that stirs the drink. But that lineup, when he's batting in that two slot, for whatever the reason, he makes the rest of that lineup go. Because you could put Stanton at two, you could put Didi at two, you could put whomever else at two. It's not the same without having number 99 penciled in that lineup. And who knows when he's going to come back. When they brought in McCutcheon, I thought to myself, we all know the injury was more than three weeks, but I'm thinking, wow, is this – Secretly a regular season ending? Is he going to come back the final week of the season? Uh, who knows? Because you wouldn't bring in a player like McCutcheon. Now, of course, he's not the same guy he was back in 2013 when he was winning an NL MVP. But you also have to think that you're bringing in this guy not only just for more depth. We all know about Clint Frazier. He's been concussed pretty much the whole year, so you can't bring him up. So to have a guy that has experience, that's been an MVP, that's played in the postseason – to bring him onto your team, it says a lot knowing that Judge, right now it's a big, giant question mark. And if you're the Yankees moving forward, you look at this road trip, is this going to be make or break? I don't think so. You know, and I haven't taken a good look at Oakland's schedule. I know they don't play Houston. They're done with Houston for the year. But if you want to look ahead and see who Oakland has – you know, I'm sure they still have Texas. They sure, you know, they play the Angels. As a matter of fact, off the top of my head, I know they play them a couple of times. So their schedule isn't going to be too difficult. I know Seattle's in there at some point. But Seattle's pretty much on life support right now as far as their postseason hopes are concerned. They're actually five and a half back of the A's right now in the division. So I would assume that's the same for the wild card, considering that nobody else in the American League is even a threat in the wild card race. So if you want to go ahead and look and see what Oakland has, fine. But you have to worry about what's happening here at home. And the Yankees, as long as they could somehow, some way, scratch out a game, maybe even two, and it's possible. I mean, the A's, as much as they've been world beaters this year and underachievers, of course, you know, they're certainly beatable. You know, I understand that lineup doesn't scare you, and they do all the right things, and they play the right way, and they have to. You know, it's not a big market team. They don't have a tremendous payroll. They don't have guys that really scare you in that lineup, although people may look at Chris Davis, who leads the league in home runs, and it's not the Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles. It's Chris with a K, who may scare you, but he also strikes out a ton, and he's that typical feast or famine type player. So, again, Yankee fans, don't despair. Don't I would say don't worry about the A's until the A's are past you. And when the A's are past you, then I would say start worrying. But you still have your own fate to control. 
If you win these two games here, you could pretty much check off the home game on April to, on April on October the second, and then you let the chips fall where they may from there. And that's pretty much it. I mean, there's nothing else really to say, nothing else really to report. It's as cut and dry as that, Yankee fans. So these two games here before they go to Seattle over the weekend and then Minnesota before they come home for their last homestand, which is nine games. And you would think, you know, Toronto, Boston, and Baltimore. You know, Baltimore is going to lose 111 games this year. Right now, I think they're at 98 and probably lose more than that. And Toronto, we all know, you know, they started trading off pieces at the end there. Granderson gone, and I believe there was another person that they uh, sent packing. But still, Yankees have it all ahead of them. It's all in front of them. Forget about the division. If you're shaking in your boots for the A's, I think it's, you know, it's a little outrageous to say or even to think for that matter. But be that as it may, the Yankees, I think, will be in good shape. They, and they are in good shape. And as long as they get... A game here. You know, you'd like to get these back too, which would be you know, fantastic. But if you only get one of the two, that's fine. They gain a game in the standings as far as the wild card race is concerned. But then you go about your business and hopefully take care of the rest of the schedule. As far as the Mets are concerned, and it's weird. With a team that's been out of it since pretty much June 15th, there always seem to be some storylines with this team. And, you know, some good, some not so good. I guess you want to say maybe we could call this segment the good, bad, and the ugly uh, when it comes to the Mets, and that's no shock because rarely is there any good. There's certainly a lot of bad, and the ugly, huh, uh, we could go for days talking about that. But we'll start with the good, and the only bright spot on this team right now is Jacob DeGrom. I mean, what he's doing is just astronomical. To think he could want to Cy Young and not win 10 games, not get double digits, is just absolutely mind-blowing. You would think he would get to 10. He probably has another five, maybe six starts tops. But we'll just, for all intents and purposes, we'll just say five starts. And right now, he is just on a roll that we haven't seen in pretty much in history. And I understand people who look at the Oral Hershizers of 88 and recently Clayton Kershaw's mastery and brilliance of what he's done, and Jake Arrieta when he had the second half of the 2015 season when he pretty much his ERA was under one. But what Jacob DeGrom is doing, you know, 25 games straight with three runs or less, and, you know, some of the stats are just mind-boggling. The games that he hasn't, you know, no run support, the games that he's lost, his records throughout this stretch. I heard of a stat where he is the one guy in baseball, see if I say this correctly, He's the one guy in baseball that is either he's faced the most batters, whether up a run, even, or down a run, by over 100 batters. So, again, that's starting a game or in the middle of a game, whenever he's pitched, whether it's tied, up one run, or down one run, the batters he's faced. He's faced, like, almost 600 batters with that type of deficit. Could you imagine the guys walked on a tightrope pretty much the whole season? I think Aaron Nola's second. Jake's number, I think, was like 589, and Aaron Nola's about 470-something as far as batters are concerned. And we understand that in the day and age of sabermetrics, which I can't stand as everybody knows, a lot of those stats fall in his favor. And Scherzer, who pitched fine yesterday, but again gave up three earned runs, and a lot of people think that his hold on the NL Cy Young is slipping, and I think it will considering he's won the last two, he's won three and four of his career, 
or he's won three in his career, the other one being in Detroit. So it looks like it's pretty much going to be Jacob DeGrom or Philadelphia's Aaron Nola. And again, DeGrom, he's the first guy, 25 games, three runs or less. He actually broke Dwight Gooden's club record back in the vintage 85 season. And he actually matched a guy that pitched for the Chicago Cubs back in 1910. His name is King Cole. How cool is that name? So he matched that feat. So on his next start, which will be Sunday at home in Philadelphia or against Philadelphia, he will attempt to break that stretch of 25 starts, allowing three runs or less for a team that scored no runs for him all year. And he's, like I said, he's pretty much had to do it not only on a tightrope, but juggling chainsaws in the process. So that's your good. And I would think that his chances of winning this thing are, they're valid. I mean, why not? We all know wins. It's a joke now in this day and age because of the sabermetrics. His strikeout totals are great. He's up to 230-something strikeouts. His whip is below one. His ERA, we know, is one six eight. I mentioned the 25 starts, three runs or less. I mean, what else does this man have to do to win this award? And we know Nola's had a phenomenal year. And the Phillies have been in contention. We'll get it to the NL pen and chase in a minute. But if DeGrom continues this, I mean, unless he just gets bombed in his last few starts, and as much as he'll downplay it, as much as he'll say, hey, listen, I just want to go up and put zeros. I want to put my team in the best spot to win. You know, he's going to say all the right things. The Grom's not that type of guy that's just going to come out and say, yeah, I want to win this award later for everybody. I know deep in his heart he's thinking that. But here it is, a month ago, a pitcher that's 500, 8-8, eight and eight, upon the likes that we haven't seen since Felix Hernandez, what was that, 2012, when he was 13-12 and 12 and won a Cy Young, we may actually have a guy that's going to have, chances are he's going to have less wins than what Felix Hernandez did in that year unless he runs off five in a row and unless the Met offense finally wakes up for him over the last month where he could run the table and maybe go 13-8. and eight. And if that's the case, then he's going to win the award. You might as well just mail it to him right after the season. So that's the good. The bad, David Wright, and not to make this a bad story, but we all know David Wright who had played in single-A St. Lucie and moved up to play in Las Vegas where at the plate he hasn't been productive. You know, I believe he was like 5 for 27. In the field he's made some plays. He's actually looked pretty good from all the reports over in Vegas. And then because he had the short flight to San Francisco, met the team there, is with the team now, and it would mean the world for him to go ahead and play at some point between now and the end of the season. And I know it's a difficult decision for the front office. As you heard John Rickle last week, he says, well, hey, he's passed some tests, but he hasn't passed all the tests. And all right, Rickle's being honest, and I get that. But at the same time, in a lost season where your third, your franchise third baseman, who has not played in almost two and a half years, has been busting his rear end to try to get back, and we all know he's going to be a shell of his old self. You know, nobody's expecting the – 320 to 25 homer, 95 to 105 RBI guy to show up there if he does happen to step into the batter's box at some point between now and September 30th. Nobody's anticipating that. But at the same time, the guy who's bled, sweated, 
tons of tears, heart, everything, putting it all on the line. Wants to get that one opportunity to have his daughters, who have never seen him play before, to do that, whether it's at home at City Field or at some point on the road before it's all said and done. I mean, give the guys moment in the sun. Because who knows? Chances are this could be his last moment in the sun. And I haven't been the biggest David Wright fan, despite the fact that I've been a Met fan my entire life. You know, I haven't been one that loved David Wright. I thought David Wright was a cornerstone player, for sure, a franchise player. But when you look at early on, he was certainly helped by a deep lineup where he had Carlos Beltran and Cliff Floyd and Carlos Delgado. So the offense, he wasn't the focal point of the offense. Whereas later on in those 2009 to 2012 years, it was pretty much him where you saw his numbers diminish. I know the ballpark was a factor where he wasn't getting a lot of those home runs. But then again, remember, Shea Stadium wasn't a bandbox either. But not to make a whole, you know, this is David Wright's baseball life here as far as the trajectory of his baseball career, as far as the back of his card is concerned and all the stats. But now he has this moment where Rico and company are kind of downplaying, and I don't know if it's an insurance issue, a money issue, that if he comes back, some, you know, if he does play, I don't know if it's a certain amount of games or at-bats. It doesn't matter. It's the end of the season. So, you know, if you're going to give him a series at home or a couple of games, whatever it may be, you know, just give it to him. You know, the guy's earned it. And I understand it's risky because the organization is looking out for him because he doesn't – they don't want him to be embarrassed. You know, God forbid he – there's a play in the hole and he has to make a dive and God forbid, you know, he's laid out in the field. I mean, nobody wants to see that. And I'm sure that's what they're thinking when it comes to not only just his health, but also the person. They don't want to have him feel humiliated and be on, you know, all the newsreels or the highlight reels throughout, you know, throughout the country. But if you're David Wright, and I said this a couple weeks ago, Kudos to him because a lot of people would have packed it in or they would have worked hard but would have just succumbed to the pressure to say, hey, listen, I'm not going to make it. And I don't want to say pressure is too strong, but you know, they just would have looked at the situation and said, eh, I can't do it. And not to try to compare it to Prince Fielder, but Prince Fielder pretty much had a situation similar to David Wright where obviously he had an issues with his neck and his spine and he had a call to career. And here's David Wright still grinding, still going at it. And it's not to say Prince Fielder didn't do the same. But closely monitoring the situation here in New York and this player, you would only hope he gets that shot. And you want to make it real nostalgic. I know a lot of people have talked about hopefully having that one last hurrah where you get both number five and number seven on the left side of the infield playing in a game. And remember, when Reyes came here to the Mets in, what was it, June of 2016, David Wright was already on the DL. His last game was in May, I believe, 27th of 2016. So despite Reyes being here over the last two-plus years, Wright and Reyes have not played in a game since he rejoined the team. So that would also be a nice little wrinkle if you throw that in there. And granted that Reyes, you know, it's been tough sledding for him. And not to talk about that and not to get to the ugly part as far as Reyes is concerned, but he knows that his days are numbered here. But the guy's been very appreciative, and it would be nice to see them play one last game on the left side of the infield. Now, as far as the ugly is concerned, 
The Peter Alonso situation. I know as Met fans, despite the fact that this player has defensive defensive deficiencies, and nobody's going to confuse him with Keith Hernandez, but when you mash 36 home runs, 119 RBIs, you hit a longer home run in the Future Stars game down in Washington during the All-Star break, and then closes out, and I just was shocked to hear, as a matter of fact, I almost fell out of my chair. He closed out that Cashman Stadium in Las Vegas with a walk-off home run to boot, where now the Mets, and this is hallelujah because, you know, I've been singing these praises for the longest time, where the Mets had moved their farm, you know, their minor league system, their AAA teams all over the place. You know, Norfolk to New Orleans to Buffalo to Las Vegas. And I said, what's next? Alaska? Hawaii? Uh, where's the next place? Siberia? Well, because it was their last game and it was a walk-off thanks to the aforementioned Peter Alonso, next year and in 2020, the Mets AAA farm system will be in Syracuse. Oh, my God. What a great idea. Have them in the state and literally a hop, skip, and a jump when you need to shuttle players back and forth from City Field to upstate New York as opposed to flying people back and forth three time zones away. Wow. What a noble thought. So the Mets finally woke up to that idea. But as far as Alonzo's concerned, you know, a lot of the talk is about his defense. And, you know, you're getting the runaround or the rigmarole, whatever you want to call it, when the front office is saying, well, hey, he's on the 40-man roster and he's a guy that obviously has a lot of promise, but, you know, he needs more seasoning. He's going to go to the Arizona Fall League. So they pretty much punted the idea of even a sliver of hope to see what this kid would be like in a major league uniform, especially going up against a lot of these teams that have 40-man rosters that it's post-September 1st and that maybe he'll, you know, electrify the ballpark with a few long balls. Right, we understand that his footwork and his defense is something that's – you know, I'm sure you're going to have to avert your eyes. But, and I've never seen him play first base, so I don't know. But you know what? Hey, let's see that. Let's see that for ourselves. You know, it's not, the, not as if the Mets are in the middle of a pennant race where you're going to put Alonzo there. And, yeah, he may hit a long ball, but then in the sixth inning, you know, boot three balls or, you know, throw balls away, whatever it may be. And that's the ugly part of it because this season, when you look at it from a whole, and we don't need to break down every little detail, but the one sliver of hope that you had in the second baseman and Jeff McNeil who's come up and done a phenomenal job. I mean, the guy's batted 325. And granted, at least you had this little sample size that you look moving forward to say, hey, this is a guy that's probably going to compete for the second-base job next year, barring that they don't bring in a free agent to play the position. But here's a guy that has a chance to win a job next year who's been a a great surprise to the organization, and then what are you going to do? You figure, let's bring up the first baseman and see what he's got because then we may catch lightning in a bottle twice. No, instead... He hits this walk-off homer, which his fate was already sealed before that. But my point is is that that was like a mental two middle fingers to say, hey, I hit this walk-off homer. We're not going to play in this ballpark anymore. All right, Mets. What more else do I need to show and prove to you that I, I, I at least get a few at-bats here in the last month of the season? But that's the ugly part. And it has nothing to do with service time and bringing them up now. I mean, it's the end of the baseball season. So, so what, that he's going to – performing 20 games. He's not going to play every day as it is. And when you hear these comments, you know, oh, we got Dom Smith there, we got Wilma Flores, it's a flood of people that's going to play first base. Oh, yeah. As if Dom Smith is, you know, certainly turned the page and, you know, he's our first base in the future. Or Wilma Flores, for that matter. Oh, hey, we need to put Jay Bruce at first base to give him some time to, you know, extend our lineup. Oh, well, 
I mean, please. I'm sure Jay Bruce, who's had a lost season in his own right, I'm sure you'd be able to mix and match. You could put him in the outfield and put Alonzo at first, and on days where you put Alonzo on the bench, obviously you have Bruce at first, and you have Alonzo coming off the bench, so who knows? Pinch hit home runs or walk-off home runs, or whatever it may be. But again, that's the Mets, so who am I? So there's your deal there. Uh, as we go through the pennant races here, we'll start with the National League. The National League is a lot more fascinating than the American League. So what we got here in the East, Atlanta still has that four-game lead over Philadelphia. Uh, the final 10 days of the season will be telling because they'll play seven times, which will be fascinating. I think Philly's starting to slip here. Uh, they certainly need to right the ship. I would think that they want to get a little bit closer, maybe within two back. You certainly don't want to go into a series four back, and then next thing you know, you lose two or three, and then you could just say goodbye to your season, especially when you get that late in the season. You know, you don't expect to sweep seven games or win six of seven against a first-place team if you're trying to make the playoffs. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, especially the Philly fans, you certainly want to try to make up some ground here. And to think that, you know, you have the Marlins this week and then you come to City Field over the weekend, so you try to fatten up. Although the Mets have played better, but right now the NL East is looking like it's going to be the Braves to win here unless Philly somehow, some way starts to pull together and make a run toward the top of that division. In the Central, you have the Cubs. <clears throat> Excuse me, I put a little bit of distance, although Milwaukee won yesterday. Cubs and Brewers are in the midst of a series here where the Brewers need to win pretty much outright to get themselves in position to get the division. But as of right now, when you look at the standings, they do lead the wild card. Uh, what do they have? A one-and-a-half game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, which the Cardinals have cooled off a little bit, but have certainly they've played well since they had the managerial change. And Milwaukee and St. Louis, I still have to look at the schedule to see who they have down the stretch. The, to me, the NL West is the division to look for, which I'll get into in a second. But the Brewers who right now trying to see if they can inch toward that top spot. Because as we all know, you want to try to win the division, especially if you're within distance. And I don't think they have any more series left uh, for the remainder of the year. I'd have to double-check that. Uh, I'll be for sure next week. I'll certainly keep everybody up to date on what's happening as far as the the races for the division. When it comes to, let's say, the Brewers or even the Cardinals and the Cubs, I think Cardinals and Cubs are done for the season. So when you have the Brewers who are looking to see if they can get themselves ahead of the Cubs, these games this week are very important to get closer. But again, right now they are four games back with five and a loss, where the Cardinals are five and a half and six and a loss. So the Cubs looking comfortable right now. But again, well, we know it's baseball and anything can happen at any given moment. The NL West is fascinating and it's certainly going to be a logjam. I'll look at it from the wildcard perspective. The Dodgers right now, are one game behind the Cardinals in the wild card. Colorado's leading the division, but they're only leading by the slimmest of margins, just a half-game lead over the Dodgers and a game and a half over the Diamondbacks, where the Diamondbacks lost three of four, especially the back three in L.A. over the weekend. So that's where they fell back to where they were, because at one point, I believe Friday night, they were actually all tied for first place, the same record, identical. And now, with a little bit of separation, not much, but Arizona now falling a game and a half back. And when you look at the wild card, the Dodgers are a game behind the Cardinals for the second wild card spot. The Diamondbacks are two games back of the Cardinals for the second spot, and obviously a game back of the Dodgers. And when you look at the schedule down the rest of the way, Colorado, they play three with L.A. this weekend, 
And then they go to L.A. in the middle of September, and that's what you have there for Colorado. As far as the Dodgers are concerned, this is where it gets crazy. The Dodgers are at Arizona this coming weekend, and then they also play them next to the last series of the weekend. So that's where you have Arizona and L.A. But listen to this schedule for the Diamondbacks down the stretch. They have upcoming this weekend, they have Atlanta. Then they go to Colorado, to Houston, home to the Cubs and Colorado and L.A. before they end the season in San Diego. So although they have a long homestand in the middle of this, but it's against the Cubs, Rockies, and Dodgers. And then prior to that, they got to go to Colorado and Houston and then the series against Atlanta at home. Talk about having your work cut out for you. So Arizona right now looking to be the one team that's, if they hey, if they get through the stretch and make the postseason, they've certainly earned it. So that's uh, the one race to look out for in the NL West. As far as the American League is concerned, we know about the AL East as we've talked about. The AL Central is a foregone conclusion with the Indians leading. And Houston-Oakland, Oakland is two and a half games behind and three in the loss of Houston, and they do not play each other throughout the rest of the season. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that. But uh, pretty much the big races are the NL West. You want to say the NL Central? Okay. Of course, the NL East too, but again, there's a cushion there with the four games. But the big ones to me are the NL West with everything that's going on there, the NL wild card for that matter. And if you're a Yankee fan that's a little nervous, you're going to look at Oakland here over the course of the next two days and what they do from here on out. All right, turn our attention to college football as the first week is uh, in the books. And were there surprises this weekend? I'd have to say no. Because when you look at what happened with the Michigan Wolverines, the Miami Hurricanes, and then last night with the Florida State Seminoles, a lot of people thought that they could make some noise, do some damage, and neither one of those teams did. In fact, all three of those teams, I don't want to say they all didn't show up. Michigan fought, but they were certainly trailing the whole game. Miami got blasted there by LSU there Sunday night, and then yesterday, Florida State didn't even show up. So although Michigan pretty much held up there into the bargain, but certainly were not impressive, even though the score was 24-17, but it certainly wasn't uh, closer than it was indicated. Same pretty much Sunday night with the Hurricanes and LSU. And then last night, you know, the Hokies just took the Seminoles behind the woodshed and just gave it to them, simply put. And what does that mean for the grand scheme of things? Of course not. I mean, obviously you don't have any of the top five teams that are ranked there. I know – the Hurricanes were ranked number eight. The Michigan Wolverines were 14th. Notre Dame will probably go up a little bit because they were ranked 12th. And then uh, the Hokies and the Seminoles, again, pretty much round that out you know, toward the middle of the pack of the top 25. And, again, it's early. It's just one game. It doesn't mean that you know they can't make a push or some sort of run. But as we all know, college football is top-heavy. And we get it from one week to the next. It's topsy-turvy. You know, the standings aren't going to come out as far as the FBS standings. are not going to come out till early November as it is. So all these teams are going to jockey for position. But, you know, the opening weekend certainly wasn't thrilling, to say the least, as far as college football is concerned. I know the big story out of that Notre Dame-Michigan thing was off the field with Braylon Edwards on the Big Ten Network saying what he said. I won't get into it. He went to a uh, profanity-laced, uh, I don't want to say tirade, but tweets, you could say. And Jim Harbaugh certainly said, oh, you know, what kind of, 
classes he's showing there, not only for him, but also on that network. I'm very surprised, so on and so forth. Well, Harbaugh, let's say, let's face it, the program's gone backwards since he first got there. And we understand recruiting and players, and it's tough, especially in that region where Ohio State's going to get a ton of the players. And Harbaugh, we all know, Michigan alum, come back. He certainly did great those first two years, and now we're starting to see the warts of the Wolverines, and who knows? Is it going to be time for him to jump ship to come back to the NFL? I think that's going to be the story as the season goes on, depending on how they do. I mean, obviously, if they bounce back from this and they certainly have a big year, that will uh, certainly turn the events. But at the same time, when you look at a guy like Harbaugh, as we all know, I'm sure if somebody dangles that big carrot for him to come back to the NFL, chances are he's probably going to take it. So that's what you have there. As far as this week's games, now the one thing is you have the opening week games, which is before the NFL, so you're going to have those primetime games to start. Pretty much between now and as you get into early October, it'll start to pick up a little bit. You know, you have the Red River Shootout there. That's usually in the first or second week of October. You have, uh, you know, a bunch of other games that are, of course, in the mix that you could certainly take a look at and say, you know, Tennessee, Florida. You know, games like that, which historically everybody looks at. But, you know, Tennessee, Florida aren't, you know, it wasn't like it was back in the 90s when Peyton Manning was there and, of course, against Spurrier and those teams. So this week you only have USC-Stanford as the highlight game there Saturday night. So college football, we will certainly touch on it as the weeks go by. But again, it's going to take a backseat to the NFL. It's going to take a backseat to the baseball. And once you start getting into October and the leaves start to change and everybody can start breaking out their pumpkin stuff, which, you know, please. But with that being said, uh, not to say I'm going to put college football on the back burner, but certainly he's not going to get a lot of pub considering now that the NFL, once that kicks off, and a lot of the college games, especially when you talk about the games that are taking place in conference, you know, they're not going to really kick off until early October anyway. So you're going to have a lot of these homecoming games, a lot of these crazy matchups, and a lot of these uh, first few weeks of the season certainly is going to be, dare I say, irrelevant. I know to the college football fan, they say, what are you, crazy, Jay Reels? Look at all these other matchups that you're going to miss out on. Well, you know, hey, this is what happens when you live in the Northeast and you don't have sexy matchups here early on, especially once the NFL season begins because you're pretty much grasping for straws to try to get at certain games. You know, nobody's going to watch, you know, a Pac-12 game on a Saturday night here uh, in early September. Yeah, you're not going to get me to this set. I don't care who's playing. You know, as we get deep into the college football season, I'll be like, hey, you know what, let me take a look at this game. Or, hey, you know, let me... Make sure I tune in. Right now, other than this first weekend, you're not going to tune in. It's unless you're just the die-in-a-wool college football fan. That's all there is to it. And then to wrap it up, the U.S. Open, which is starting to dwindle down here to its uh, final few days. And one thing about this U.S. Open, I'll say, and haven't had in quite some time, is the weather has been a factor during this tournament. In the past, you've either had just the perfect weather. I remember the last couple of U.S. Opens where it seemed like it was 80 every day. You know, sunny. You had a couple of co- you know, overcast days. There were some U.S. Opens where, you you know, especially at the start of it, it was just raining nonstop that you had to make up these games. I remember one year, I think, what was it? The final was on a Tuesday, the men's final, because all the rain. I can't remember what year it was, but, you know, you have some years that are like that. Well, this is the first time in quite some time that I can remember that this has actually just been a heat bath of a tennis tournament. You know, last week you had temps, heat index of, you know, of 100. Today, the heat index is approaching 100. It's supposed to be, again, hot again tomorrow. It's going to cool off by the weekend. It's actually, we may have some rain in the forecast over the weekend, so who knows 
what that's going to do to factor in as far as the championships are concerned. Because as we know, the uh, women's championship is on Saturday night. Men's will be Sunday late afternoon. So when you put this all in perspective and break this all down, as far as the men's are concerned, you still have the top guys there minus uh, Mr. Federer. Roger Federer lost in his uh, matchup against John Millman, beat him in four sets, which was an upset to say the least. John Millman was ranked 55th in the world. So instead of having the matchup that a lot of people were looking at between Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, instead you're going to have Millman go, go up against Djokovic there in that uh, semifinal. You have Rafael Nadal tonight going up against Don Thiem, ranked number ninth in the world. You have a matchup that I believe is taking place now between uh, John Isner, who's been phenomenal here, and has certainly moved up the ranks there as far as uh, tennis players concerned. I know he's ranked 11th, but he's certainly one of, been one of the top players over the last couple of years. He's going up against Juan Martin Del Potro, who's certainly been a force in his own right. So he's still got some great matchups. He's still got some great tennis to, to look ahead as far as the men's are concerned. The women's Today you had Sloane Stevens ranked third in the, in the world who lost to Anna Sevastova. I believe in straight sets. That just actually finished about an hour ago. So you have Sloane Stevens who's out. Serena Williams still hanging in. Serena actually played Venus just a couple days ago and a lot of people thought, I, I think it was the earliest day they actually faced one another because for so long, you know, Venus and Serena were at the top of the tennis, uh, women's tennis food chain that they always usually play, you know, later on, quarterfinal semifinal, final, but they played early on. I think it was the third round, and Serena looks like she could, uh, I don't want to say be in cruise control because we all know sometimes she has had those moments there in a either semifinal or a U.S. Open final where she ended up losing. But the last year was, the last couple of years has been the, fate, uh, been the uh, case. Although she did win, let me think, on the top of my head. Well, she didn't win two years ago because that's where she got her 23rd Grand Slam at the Australian. And then obviously she took a year off. So the last two years, obviously she hasn't been there. But I believe she lost in the final two years ago. Uh, off the top of my head to Anna, what's that? Not Samantha Stozer. I think that could be Samantha Stozer. So anyway, I digress. I know I'm over here playing off the top of my head. But you get the point. She hasn't won a U.S. Open here in at least two years. So let's see if she could get another Grand Slam tournament under her belt. And funny enough, last week, this Simona Halep, who was the number one ranked woman to kick off the tournament, and pretty much before I even stopped recording my podcast, she was out in straight sets at the U.S. Open, which is actually historic. She was the first woman to lose in the first round as a one seed in the history of the tournament. I mean... Yeah, it was almost as if she probably came to New York and had a great weekend night in the town, and Monday came and went, and, oh, that's it. Had other plans. So that was historic in that regard, and I, obviously I didn't know until I read about it. But that's what you have there as far as the uh, U.S. Open is concerned. So on men's side, you have some good stuff. You still have Serena there in the women's. I'm sure CBS or who's ESPN is now doing it. CBS used to host the championships back in the day. On regular network TV, but now it's ESPN, so I'm sure ESPN is hoping and praying, having their fingers crossed that Serena's in their women's final. And if you get anywhere of a combination of Nadal, Djokovic, Isner, DePoltro in the final four, then I'm sure they'll be doing handstands as well. 
All right, so just before we sign off, I just want to say thanks to everybody who's downloaded and listened to the podcast and who continue to listen to the podcast. Please tell your friends, your family, whomever loves sports, whether they're a casual sports fan, they're just starting to become a sports fan. Hey, you never know. You have an eight-year-old who's into sports and wants to hear some guy babble talking about sports like I do. May have the same love and passion for it. Well, please pass the word as your word of mouth and texting, copying, pasting, whatever it may be, that if you could send this along to those who uh, listen to the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. You could get the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Now I believe it's Google Podcasts, so it's not Google Play anymore. So they certainly have rounded out their uh, app where I believe now if you're on an Android phone, you could actually go to uh, Google Podcasts. I'm also on Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher. Uh, for those, again, the J Reels podcast, talking about sports. I'm also on Instagram, J Reels. J Reels 1 on Twitter, just the number one, and the J Reels podcast on my Facebook page. If you want to send an email, or you can, of course, send to any of my social media accounts, DM me, whatever. But, of course, I do have an email link, which is the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Uh, greatly appreciate all your support and download and listen to the program, as I mentioned before. And if you're wondering, hey, J Reels, what happened to the NFL talk? I mean, please, you're talking about baseball. I understand that. What is it, tennis? Nobody wants to hear this. And college football, all right, I get it. What, NFL. NFL starting in two days down in Philadelphia, opening season. What, where, what's up with that? Well, glad you asked. <laughs> Tomorrow I'm uh, going to record the podcast and hope to get a guest on. I know it's been tricky. These writers have been busy in their own right, and I understand that. Bunch of storylines. I've even tried to get, just from a regional perspective, just trying to get any writer on just to kind of handicap not only the team that they cover, but also the NFL on a whole. But as we all know, this is a busy time for them. And certainly I'm hoping to get somebody on because I want to have just a bit of an insight from what one of the NFL writers has to say about this upcoming season. But if I don't get a writer, you'll get the podcast tomorrow, Wednesday. I would say Wednesday on your commute home here in the East Coast time, so around 5 o'clock. Or if not, you'll certainly get it Thursday during your commute home, which would be a perfect time right before the kickoff there down in Philadelphia between the Falcons and Eagles to usher in the new NFL season. I'll certainly put that on my social media account, so please keep an eye on the accounts that I mentioned before as you'll get the first taste of the NFL season right as kickoff uh, either starts or the day before that. So please keep an eye out for that as I'll go through the whole league. I'll talk about the locals, Jets and Giants. For my Steeler fans out there, I'll give you a Steeler preview. Everything that you can shake a stick at. Predictions, breakdown of the divisions. You'll get my over-unders for the year, my knockout pick, Super Bowl prediction, Super Bowl winner, all that will be right here on the podcast within the next 48 hours. I can guarantee you that. So again, please keep an eye on my social media accounts for the latest as to when that podcast will go up. And, of course, the website as well at www.jreels.com, J-A-Y-R-E-E-L-Z. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless, everybody. And until next time, whether it's the NFL extravaganza that will kick off, of course, in the next two days, keep an eye out for that. So until then, everybody, on the flip, baby.